Well, good morning. If you brought your copy of God's Word with you, open with me this morning to the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And this morning we're going to be looking at the honeymoon. Which is rightly intended to be viewed as the climax of the lover's song. Two young Lovers who have deepened emotionally and who have rightly resisted the obvious fleshly desires they have had one for another. And now with the wedding ceremony behind them, covenantal vows having been spoken, chapter 4 now takes us inside the marriage chamber, where in keeping with God's creation mandate, the two become one flesh, the consummation of the wedding vows. Chapter 4 is the most explicit and erotic text in the Song of Solomon. And when we get to the end of this love feast of a section, we have what most commentators have agreed on as being an open endorsement for the enjoyment and pleasure of sexual intimacy between husband and wife from none other than God himself. Let me show you that at the front end of this. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. At the very end of verse 1, chapter 5, there's a transition of character. Verse 16 of chapter 4 is the Shulamite speaking to Solomon. Chapter 5, verse 1 begins sought with Solomon speaking. And when you get to the very end of chapter 5, verse 1, there's a transition in character. This is neither the voice of the Shulamite, nor is this the voice of Solomon. This is why most have viewed that this is indeed an insertion here in this love song from the voice of God himself in this love song. And notice what it says. Here at the very end of this section dealing with the honeymoon, it says, Eat, friends. Drink. And imbibe deeply, O lovers. You see, sex in the context of marriage is defined by God's word. Of one man and one woman is that which is to be greatly enjoyed. It's not just a procreative activity. There is intended to be great enjoyment and delight. And here... In this honeymoon context, God is saying to these lovers, imbibe deeply on the pleasures of marital love. Imbibe here is translating a Hebrew word that literally means to be drunk with, to become drunk, or to make drunk. As a matter of fact, the ESV, the English Standard Version, translates this portion here, to be drunk with love. To be, to become, to make yourselves drunk with the pleasures of marital love. The NASB just says, imbibe deeply. This is what God says you are to do as husband and wife. So do it. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Imbibe deeply, O lovers. Now, Back to chapter 4, verse 1, where the honeymoon begins. And as I said, chapter 4 takes us inside the marriage chamber. 
And the first seven verses, what we'll be looking at this morning, are Solomon for the first time seeing and describing, albeit very poetically, the beauty of his new wife. Notice verse 1, chapter 4. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Here Solomon is just taking it all in and the overflowing, if you will, with with praise concerning the beauty of his wife following their wedding. Again, here in verse 1, referring to her and calling her his darling. And I think it goes without saying that the first time any married couple getting to the honeymoon bed and seeing each other, we might say, well, naked, might have reason for feeling a little self-conscious regarding their body, and in particular how their husband or how their wife may be seeing them and their naked body, just putting it very plainly. And so I wanted to remind us of a truth that we see in Genesis chapter 2, prior to the fall into sin, we see in Genesis 2, God's creative mandate on a man leaving his father and mother and being joined with his wife. It's for this reason that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25 says... And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see, prior to their fall into sin in chapter 3, there's no shame in being completely exposed to a spouse. But notice, when we look over to Genesis chapter 3, what happens after fall into sin in Genesis 3, 7 through 10, says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We see here that their eyes were opened to the knowledge of good and evil. And with sin came the very destructive sense of self-awareness that was accompanied, we see here at the end of verse 10, with fear and with a sense of self-shame, not only before God but seemingly before others because men and women have been wearing fig loin coverings every since. You don't see men and women walking around naked anymore, correct? Thank the Lord. Amen. Man lost his dignity by listening to the voice of Satan and not the voice of God. Verse 7, And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. I think heaven as a, being a place that will be without sin is going to be even better than the Garden of Eden. How about you? Because in heaven there won't even be a potential for sin. Well, that being the case, there's also a good chance that in heaven, like in the Garden of Eden, when we get resurrected bodies made for our heavenly abode, that we, like Adam and Eve, might, you say, also be naked and unashamed. Now, some of you just had a panic attack at the thought at the thought of being so exposed. You see, sin has so broken us and marred us as image bearers that we can't even imagine being naked and unashamed. 
And so in God's mystery of marriage, of husband and wife being that which is analogous to Christ, the groom, and his church, the bride, we as husband and wife embark on a great redemptive story in our own love songs, whereby we, as we are being conformed more into the image of Christ, are creating a place of redemptive love that is intended to take us back to our own garden, our own marriage bed. One man, one woman, leaving father and mother, the two becoming one flesh, as in a Genesis 2-type garden prior to the fall. Again, from verse 25, where the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. So Solomon here in chapter 4, verse 1, inside the marriage chamber, seeing his, his bride for the first time unclothed, makes a great start at this. Yet again, using words to assure his wife that she, in his eyes, while completely exposed, was altogether beautiful. And in case you didn't catch it, he says it again. Notice verse 1, how beautiful you are, my darling, and notice... In case you didn't catch it, he repeats it, how beautiful you are. Remember the art of the volley? The better the volley, the better the game, the better the romance. And we must learn to romance our wives, guys, with our words. That will better the chance that you and your mate will imbibe deeply for a lifetime as lovers. Keep looking at verse 1. Solomon, in describing her beauty, descending now begins a descent down her body, beginning here with her eyes. Notice what he says. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are, your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Now, it's been said that repetition is the key to learning. If you, know, if you want your kids to know and to do something, how many times do you need to tell them or show them or teach them? Is it just one time? I think all parents intuitively know that it's a lifetime. It's a task of continually repeating things over and over. That If that which you are needing them to learn is so important to you to tell them the first time you recognize the importance of telling them over and over and over until they do the thing as if it's second nature or understand the thing as though it belongs to them. And perhaps you didn't notice, but what Solomon said here in verse 1 was verbatim how he praised her beauty and tranquility of soul in chapter 1 verse 15. It's almost as if this is important to him and he is wanting her to truly understand that she is altogether lovely in his eyes. Remember when the Shulamite started learning to see herself through Solomon's eyes? She said, don't look at me, I'm, I'm dark. In Solomon's words, Solomon romancing her with his words, she turned around in chapter 2, verse 1, and she said, I am the Rose of Sharon the lily of the valleys. It's amazing how a woman will bloom and blossom at the words, the kind words, the intimate words, words of intimacy from a husband. And here we see in Song of Solomon chapter 4, in the wedding chamber, he's repeating these words verbatim, wanting to make certain that now his wife 
understands that he feels the exact same way. Let me show you this comparison just so you can see this side by side. In, in, in 115, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are, your eyes are like doves. In 4.1, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are, your eyes are like doves. See the only thing that's been added here? The very end of chapter 4, verse 1. Behind your veil. The only thing that has changed is now that, is now that this woman is a wife. The very time of their, of their courtship and the growing of, of their intimacy, he was, he was saying these things to her. He was telling her how beautiful she was. He was making reference to the tranquility of her eyes, looking into her eyes, describing the character of this woman and her soul. And here in chapter 4, verse 1, he's saying the exact same thing. I think this might, what, this might be what we call a well-driven nail. Solomon driving this nail yet again so that she knows without question how he feels and how he sees her in his own eyes. And again, he's, he's, he makes reference to her eyes here as being like doves. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil, which I mentioned in chapter 1, verse 15, across multiple cultures and um, different poetic genres, doves have always represented that which is pure and gentle and devoted and, and beauty and tranquility and faith. And it seems as if in, in this poetic love song, again, Solomon could have had every one of those meanings in mind as he was extolling the character of his bride, his wife. And here, here's Solomon. Now think about this. On his honeymoon, taking the time to look lovingly and longly into the eyes of his wife for the purpose of esteeming her as a woman of great character. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. I mean, most of us guys here this morning have already skipped down to verse 5, and we're just reading a book. Let that sink in, guys. When you get your wife to the marriage bed, don't just rush into it all. Slow down. Take the time to look your wife lovingly and longingly into her eyes and esteem her for being a woman of noble character. Tell her how proud you are to be her husband and how glad you are that she's your wife. I think, gentlemen, that's what you might call verbal foreplay. Never lose the art of verbal foreplay. And I can assure you, long after the enjoyment of the physical pleasures of sexual intercourse have waned, the verbal strokes of affirmation will stay with your lover till death parts the two of you. Amen? But I can also assure you that verbal strokes of negativity will mark them Till death parts you as well. Choose your words wisely. Romance your wife, guys, with your words. And you might have a relationship in which you too can imbibe deeply as lovers. Now he goes from her eyes here to her hair. Notice the rest of verse 1. After saying, your eyes are like doves behind your veil. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Now, if that's not the most romantic thing you've ever heard, right? 
sweet darling, your hair reminds me of a flock of goats. Now, that might get you nowhere as fast, uh, so choose your analogy wisely. And let me explain this one, guys, to you before you try to use it with your wife. Like, honey, your hair is like a flock of goats. Well, dang, that didn't work like it did for Solomon. What happened? Mount Gilead was a mountain range east of the Jordan River and was known for its fertile pasture and thus many flocks of sheep and goats. And at a distance, it would have been a beautiful thing for a shepherd to watch a herd of dark-haired Palestinian goats as they descended down Mount Gilead, down into the valley for pasture and bedding. A beautiful sight indeed. So what we know from this verse is that this woman has let her hair loose. She's let her hair down, which is a very sensual thing to do. And Solomon is complimenting the beauty of her hair as it has trussled down onto her body. Again, guys, choose your analogy wisely, but be assured that your wife likes compliments regarding her hair. I learned that this week. My wife went and had her hair done, got it recolored. Now, don't tell her I'm saying any of this. Okay, but she's only asked me like five times, maybe ten, do you, do you like my hair? Sweetheart, I love your hair. It's the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. It's like a flock of goats, because I'm in Song of Solomon, right? So she understands my analogy. It's like that beautiful flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Trust me, the very next day, are you sure you like my hair? Now, maybe my wife's the only one, but I'm betting money, guys, that that's not the case. Your gal wants to know that you think her hair is an attractive thing and that she looks good, especially when she lets it down. <clears throat> Amen. Now, notice verse 2 and 3. He's going to go from her hair to her mouth and make compliments regarding the beauty of her mouth. Verse 2, Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost her young. Newly shorn ewes were baby lambs, which having been washed would have been clean and, might I say, smelled good. Let's be honest about it, bad breath in intimate settings. Well, that's about all I need to say. So brush your teeth, guys, uh, you know, before just plowing into bed. Uh, ladies, this was her teeth were looking very nice. Um, and it seems that she is been practicing good dental hygiene for some time, and as a result, it says, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost her young. She has all her teeth. He continues in verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Now, the fact that Solomon can compliment her for her beautiful smile, which is what he's doing here, lets us know that his compliment about her eyes and her hair didn't go unnoticed. Which is also what we see at the end of verse 3. Notice the end of verse 3. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. We see here that the Shulamite is blushing at the words of praise being given her by her husband. Her temples and her cheeks are blushing like a slice of pomegranate behind her veil. Solomon's words of praise of romancing his wife with his words is working. Take note, guys. It works. Listen, it's been said, and I think the text of the Song of Solomon has affirmed that if us guys want to imbibe deeply on love, and we do, we had better figure out the art of the lover's volley of praise. 
Go back and listen to the third sermon in the series titled, The Lover's Volley of Praise. Learn to use your words in the affirmation of your wife and her beauty. Become an expert at that. And don't tell me I'm just not made that way, or I'm not good at that, or I'm kind of uncomfortable doing that, because let me remind you guys of something. The largest sex organ on your wife is her mind. And if you can get her mind turned on, her body will follow. Well, there may be a a few of us blushing in here even now, so let's keep moving at verse 4. Notice he goes from her her mouth, her teeth, her lips to her neck. He says in verse 4, Your neck is like the Tower of David built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. The mighty men of war during times of peace, which was... Israel's experience during Solomon's kingship was a time of peace, would hang their shields around the Tower of David to symbolize their allegiance to and valor for their king. And it was a very stately and beautiful sight for any king to see that. And women at this time wore necklaces of gold coins or hammered metal, all stacked up side by side, which would have looked similar to all the shields of the mighty men that were hanging around the Tower of David. So the beauty and the stateliness of her neck was an awesome sight for Solomon indeed. And it reminded him of her loyalty and her devotion to him. Now, do you see what Solomon's done so far in these few verses? Number one, he's praised her for her virtue and her character. Secondly, we see that he has complimented her beauty, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her mouth, temple, her cheeks and her neck. In all of this before verse 5. So remember guys, to be a good lover, you need to be patient. Don't just rush in like a bull in a china closet because sometimes something's bound to get broken when you do that. And the last thing you want to do guys is to rush ahead of your bride when it comes to matters of intimacy and end up wounding her and hurting her because you weren't patient in the process of learning to be lovers. More on that later as we get later into the Song of Solomon. But notice verse 5. He says, Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Solomon here for the first time, and rightly so, after the wedding, is seeing the breast of the wife of his youth. And he is here liking them to two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. So tender and lovely they are as they feed among the lilies. And it's only right to assume that he is very much looking forward to enjoying such beautiful tender fawns. We see this same wisdom from Solomon in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Proverbs 5 is in the context of avoiding the adulterous woman and the destructive uh, nature that's in her path. But notice in verse 18, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. So again, notice verse 18. Wife of your youth. Verse 19, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with 
her love. Simple translation, guys. Stay away from other women sexually, which is the entire context of Proverbs 5, and pornography of any kind. That sin against God will surely, and against your wife, will surely destroy her, your marriage, your family, your health, and your finances if you don't abandon it. Because she's not your wife, and those aren't your breasts by which you are to be exhilarated, and she's not your lover. Solomon's point, God has given you desires that are to only be fulfilled, men, with your wife, and ladies, with your husband. But, make no mistake, husband and wife, those desires, those sexual desires, are to be fulfilled. And if you disobey the word of God and not fulfill those desires for your husband or wife, that's sin. And Satan will fill that void with temptations of all sorts. Another woman's bosom or another man's bed. Again, verse 18, your wife, 19, her breast, her love. Imbibe deeply there. Now listen to the Apostle Paul on this topic from 1 Corinthians 7. It always seems that this is an important piece to add to this kind of a conversation. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, now, concerning the things about which you wrote, so the Corinthians had written to the Apostle Paul and were asking some questions and wanted some answers from him, so this was one of those. He says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And the Greek word for touch here is the idea of sexually touching, the idea of sexual intercourse, of intimate touching of a woman. Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, and that's true because just any and every old woman is not your what? Your wife. So don't do that. But, verse 2, because of immoralities, because of immoralities, the desires that God has put within our bosom to desire sexual intimacy, because of immoralities, and that's where it will lead if you do it outside the context of marriage, is, is that which is immoral. Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband, verse 3, must fulfill his duty to his wife. And it's not talking about grass-cutting there, ladies, or men. It's in the context of sexual intimacy. There is a duty that needs to be fulfilled. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, which indicates that women also have a desire for sexual intimacy. If they don't, it might be because you're not very good at the lover's volley of praise. You don't know how to praise your, 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 your wife and compliment her with words. And so she may have gone flat and deaf and dull to the senses that are there. So start that up again. Get that motor running. But husbands must fulfill the duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. There are duties that need to be fulfilled sexually speaking. Husband to wife because of immoralities. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Remember when I told you that when you marry someone, you need to make certain that you marry someone who loves Jesus Christ more than themselves? Because marriage will send a couple on one of the most destructive ventures they've ever set out on if they are selfish and become selfish lovers. 
in desire to fulfill and get themselves satisfied, they become selfish and degrading and demeaning and rude and mean, and it will deeply wound people. And we see this strewn across the landscape of the world. It's everywhere. The Song of Solomon, such a simple book, if we would all learn to simply follow the wisdom embedded from God in this one book, we would have a joy in marriage like none other. And if you're not there today, it's never too late to start again. Just put your foot down. Plant your flag. Say to each other, husband to wife, we're going to love Jesus Christ more than we love ourselves. By gosh, Lord God, forgive me for being a selfish pig of a sinner. And the other person says the same thing. And you repent. And you get back to living by faith. Live by faith. Live here in his life. Life for the taking. So, verse 5, stop depriving one another. Cut it out. Stop it. Except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now, in some of my counseling sessions, some of you have been praying a long time. Not you here personally, but another. I've, I've met with men who say, I haven't had sex with my wife in over a year. She's a closed door. And I'll say, man, you, your, your prayer life must be just rock solid. I mean... You must be praying. Did, y'all, did you buy, come to an agreement for that period of time? No, you're in disobedience to the word of God. Those sessions sometimes don't last long because my philosophy is, you know, rut's wrong with you. You're stuck in a rut. It's destroying your life. That's what's wrong with you. What does God's word say about it? Now go do it. It's that simple. We make things so complicated in life, don't we? Get all emotional about it, but this and that and that and mother-in-law, father. Forget it. It's about you and the man in the mirror. Here's the mirror right here, the Word of God. James 2, don't be like the man who looks at himself in the mirror of the Word of God and walks away and forgets what he sees, which is a man or a woman in need of change. That's the glory of what God's Word does for us. It, it holds us accountable to everything because it's saying here is life. Imbibe deeply. O lovers, herein is life. Again, verse 5, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again. And notice right here, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Self-control in issues of sexual sin. If husband and wife are cutting each other off, Satan steps in another woman's bosom Another man's bed, it happens all the time. Verse 9, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Isn't that pretty simple teaching? And this is what they came asking the Apostle Paul about concerning the things about which you wrote us. Here's the information. Now be effectual doers of the Word of God. Listen, marriage is the exclusive God-ordained context in which sexual intimacy is to take place. God himself put these sexual desires in both men and women, as we have seen clearly throughout the first three chapters of the Song of Solomon, and there's nothing wrong with experiencing these desires. 
So instead of telling young men and or young women or singles that their God-given desire for sexual intimacy is bad and a no-no, we should instead be saying what the Song of Solomon says, that it's good and a not-yet-yet approach. In this Christendom purity culture that we have invented that doesn't sometimes mirror what we see in the scriptures. It's always a no, no, oh, no, 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 no. The scriptures are saying, not yet, yet. Yeah, this is good, and yes, it is beautiful, and yes, God put that in you to desire. And someday, son, when you have a wife, check out the Song of Solomon. Yeah, it's a not yet, yet. But trying to deny those desires, suppress those desires, how, where has that led us? How did, how did that work out for you? Those of you who are married here today, how well did it work out for you trying to simply suppress those desires and pretend that those desires weren't really there? <laughs> Probably not as well as you're hoping that it works for your children. Not yet yet. That's how we should be instructing singles and young men and women until uh, only until God is pleased. Do not arouse or awaken love until God is pleased. And God is pleased only after a man and a woman share permanent vows of fidelity that says only death alone can part us. But sexual intimacy, as described in the Song of Solomon, is right, it's good, and until marriage, it's not a yet yet. So if you're here this morning and, you, and you're single, or you're a young single and you're experiencing these desires, there's nothing wrong with you. God put that there. And trying to somehow suppress that or have it cast out as if it's some kind of demon is ridiculous. What did Paul say? You don't have self-control? Go get married. Go find a wife. Make sure she loves Jesus more than herself or she will be a selfish lover and things will go south. And get married. It's better to marry than burn. It's really that simple. The Word of God is so refreshingly honest, isn't it? It truly is. So, let's keep moving. Verse 6. 4-6. He says, Until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Now, what time is this? The cool of the day when shadows flee away? It's morning time. So all night long, he is going to make his way, he says, to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 13, we saw that this woman had a pouch of myrrh that lay between her breast all night. Remember that? I do. So when Solomon says that he will make his way to the mountain of myrrh all night long, he's referring to the enjoyment he intends on having with the breast of the wife of his youth. And when he says he's going to make his way to the hill of frankincense, now, now some of you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, no, that, that couldn't be what it's talking about. But I'm here to let you know that's exactly what, the, what Solomon is saying here in the Song of Solomon. He's not saying, hey, honey, I'm going to leave the, the, the marriage chamber and I'm going to go over to some, some mountains and some hills out here. No. He's saying 
until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away, all night long till morning comes, he is going to be enjoying sexual intimacy with his bride. And you know what's interesting? Sadly, most people don't even know that the Word of God has anything to say about romance, intimacy, and sexual pleasure at all. Most don't even know that the book, the Song of Solomon, is one of the books of the Bible unless you've reminded them of that. And then, much less, they hardly even know what it says. Remember what we saw when we began this series from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 4? Remember what we saw there? Romans 15, 4. I don't have this on overhead for you, but I love this verse. And not just because it fits here, but because it's there. It's just there. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier times. Was the Song of Solomon written in earlier times? Yes, it was. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Here's a book on instruction on how to have an enjoyable, romantic, intimate, sexual, imbibe deeply old lovers kind of life with your gal. A book of instruction so that through perseverance and with the encouragement of the Scriptures, which is what the Song of Solomon is, we might have hope. Have you ever met a married couple that needs a little hope infused into their relationship? That's, all, that's what I do mostly, is I counsel people whose relationships have gone south. They, like the Song of Solomon here in the, at, at the beginning of the honeymoon, they couldn't keep their mitts off one another. But some 5, 10, 15 years later, they're like strangers, estranged from one another. The Song of Solomon was written for our instruction so that we would find encouragement, Romans 15, 4, through the Scriptures, and might have hope. Oh, I love the Apostle Paul, Romans 15, 4. How about you? That's why we have the book, The Song of Solomon, and most people, unfortunately, don't even know it's here, but I'm betting that you soon won't forget. And as you talk with people, and you talk with people who are hurting relational point, relationally, point them to The Song of Solomon. And if they say, man, I can't quite figure out what the, the flock of goats coming down from the Mount Gilead is, just send them to the YouTube page and let them listen to this old chap. Or any other people, Tommy Nelson, there are others. Get them to get their nose in the book of the Song of Solomon and say, live here, be instructed, be encouraged, and find hope. There is hope for your relationship. Begin again. He's saying in verse 6 that all night long till morning, he's going to be intimately enjoying sexual pleasure with his bride. Amen and amen. Now let's finish up verse 7. Notice what Solomon says yet again. He says here in verse 7, You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. This truly is true love, isn't it? Or sometimes it's what we call blind love. And that's what love songs are made of. His love sees only perfection in his wife and her Body, no blemish in you. Was there a blemish here or was there a bulge there? Solomon noticed not. No blemish in you. And this is the way that it is to begin and end in all true love songs. 
that you are all together beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. My wife is more beautiful to me today in every way than when we first began our love song and journey. No blemish in her. None. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I let her know that every single day. And I'm not saying that to brag or to boast. I'm just telling you that before I got married, I had the chance to go through the Song of Solomon. I didn't know it was there. And I saw the principles there laid out within the Word of God, and I've always had a heart that has said, God, whatever your Word says, that's what I want to do. And, I've, and we set out to live the Song of Solomon life and it'll be 29 years this summer. And I'm telling you, I'm still on my honeymoon. And I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this for effect because it's so cliche at a time like this. I'm telling you, when you honor God and His Word and you do things God's way, you can experience the life-giving joy that comes from God's Word relationally. I promise you that. And I just give God the thanks for it. But you know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So listen, man, I'm going to say, follow me as I'm following Christ. That's all I've tried to do is follow God and love his word and love my bride. And I tell her every single day that she is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And there's no blemish in her. And I mean it. It is so true. Well, we're only halfway through this honeymoon. Halfway. Come back next week. We're going to learn a little bit more about the mountains and the hills of myrrh. This is a very sensual chapter indeed. There is life within these pages of God's Word. Allow them to change you. Begin again today if you have to. Let's pray.